members of our church. And, uh, I think it's been three years since they have been in this room uh, in this hour for, for worship. Byron and Susie were among those who went to the Franklin campus to help launch uh, that, that church there, and they served there for, for quite a while. Came back here, and since then they've been in the overflow uh, and, uh, and have been serving there. Currently, Byron and Susie are leading worship in the overflow in this hour. So if you ever have the chance to drop out of this room and head back there, you, you will be blessed. Uh, they, uh, they lead worship very well. They worship the Lord with, with their whole hearts. Open your Bibles to Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 14. Reading a church growth book the other day, and that, that alone tells you something about the day we live in, the church growth book. I, I ran across a word, the word was disaffiliation. Disaffiliation, it's kind of a new word for me. You have any idea what that word would be? Disaffiliation? Come to find out when, when the fellow was talking about disaffiliation, he was talking about people leaving the church, which is kind of the opposite of church growth. You get the idea. Uh, disaffiliation, people leave the church, and the new term for that is they, they are disaffiliating. Uh, well, just so you understand my heart, I, I don't want anybody to disaffiliate. Uh, it's something about the way my heart operates, the way I'm trained to, to think of my success as a, as a leader. I, I don't want to see people disaffiliating. But the problem is, as I read the red letters of Scripture, as I read the words that Jesus himself said, there, with, there is with some frequency uh, passages like this one where Jesus stops and challenges the crowd. And to be really honest, he invites them to disaffiliate. Now, Jesus is always calling people to follow him. You know that. He's constantly inviting people to follow. But don't miss the passages where he will stop and also invite people not to follow. And this is one of those passages. This is one of those passages where Jesus absolutely gives people freedom not to follow him. It's not that he didn't want people to follow, don't get me wrong, but he wanted people to decide. There has to come some point in a person's life when they make a real, grown-up, full-body decision about whether or not they're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus asked people to decide. It's the same decision that you're being asked to make today. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 and, uh, and read this passage, red letters, uh, words that Jesus said. Starts in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. All right? You got that? A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else. New Living Translation adds by comparison. You must hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. 
Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. pastor met a woman, her name was Angela. She was a rough girl. She was a businesswoman, very, very independent, very, very smart, uh, very ambitious. She rode a Harley. She wanted to join the church. So the pastor uh, had her come into his office, and they sat down and they talked, and um, he asked Angela just up front, are you a Christian? Angela, are you a Christian? And, and the woman said, yes, uh, I, I'm a Christian. Now, I'll let you in on a secret. In the United States, if you ask nearly anybody if they're a Christian, they'll, they'll typically tell you that they are, especially around this part of the country. It's a Bible belt. Uh, nearly everybody will say they're a Christian. So it's usually important to find out what they mean when they call themselves a Christian. You know what I'm saying? And so the pastor said, what do you think it means to call yourself a Christian? And in the course of the conversation, it became pretty clear that Angela's definition of Christian really wasn't the same as the pastor's or even the Bible's definition. For, for Angela, when she called herself a Christian, what she meant was a good person. Basically, she just meant good person. She tried to be a good person. Now, she also had gone to church with her grandmother when she was a girl, and that gave her some uh, kind of spiritual identity, security. She would call herself a Christian, but... But it became clear that, that she wasn't a Christian in, in, in the way the Bible talks about what it means to be a Christian. It's, it, it's not just being a good person. It's not just having gone to church when you were a child with your grandma. So actually, the, the pastor opened up his Bible to this, to this passage, to Luke chapter 14. And he started right here where, where we just read, verse 25, 26, in the part that says, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else father and mother and wife and children and, and, and if you don't carry your own cross you, you cannot be Jesus's disciple and, and until you count the cost and on and on he, he went through this passage and and talked with Angela about what the Bible says what Jesus says it means to be one of his followers well the more he talked the more the pastor talked and the more they looked in scripture the more angry that Angela became just the more angry and she started just getting almost confrontational with the pastor. She said, do you mean to tell me that if, if I don't change everything in my life to make Jesus the top priority, then I can't call myself a Christian? The pastor said, yes, that's, the, the, that's, what, that's what the Bible says, and, and on and on. She said, do you mean to tell me that if, if I don't surrender my life to Jesus completely before I die, then I can't go to heaven after I die? And the pastor said, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what Jesus is telling you. 
And she says, you mean to tell me that, that, that if, if I don't live my entire life for Jesus, that I'm wasting my life? You mean to tell me that without Christ, I'm wasting my life? And once more, the pastor said, that, that, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what Jesus tells you. Very angry, she walked out of the church. The pastor thought to himself, I will never see her again. Never see her again. What happened there? I mean, what happened? Here's a woman who, who said she wanted to join the church, who, who said that she was a Christian, but when she actually sits down and reads what Jesus himself says about being a disciple of his, when she reads the actual words of Jesus about being a Christian, she storms out the door angry. What's going on there? And, and is that what we expect to happen? Is, is that in any way a, a good day for the pastor? Well, Jesus obviously had days like that. I mean, notice what the pastor says. Notice how it begins. A large crowd, a large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd. Jesus could draw a crowd. And and there was never really a, a day when crowds wouldn't come out to hear Jesus teach. And there really weren't very many moments when when there weren't multitudes of people, hundreds, thousands of people following after Jesus. They went everywhere he went. They listened to everything he said. They were, you would say, followers. But there are moments like this when Jesus would stop and he would turn around to the crowd and he would challenge them. He would turn around to them and say, if anybody really wants to be my disciple, if anybody really wants to be my follower, you must hate everyone else. You must carry your own cross. You must count the cost. Jesus said very hard things like this. What is Jesus trying to do? Does he want people to follow him or not? Does he want people to come after him or or, or not? Does he want the crowd to stay with him or not? Because sometimes it looks like he's trying to run them off. Jesus trying to run them off? What's he doing? He's not trying to run them off. You understand this, right? Jesus wants them to be his followers. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to to reclaim those wandering from the fold of God. And his intention was that they would find salvation and grace in his name. He wants them to follow him. But, But the point is, there must be some difference between being in the crowd of people around Jesus and actually being a follower of Jesus. There is a difference. And the difference comes down to to commitment. It comes down to to decision. And the fact is obvious that there are people who followed after Jesus who followed more like what Kyle Eidelman would say, they followed more like fans. They just followed because they were enthusiastic about what Jesus was doing or they enjoyed watching the miracles. I mean, who wouldn't be amazed and entertained by Jesus' miracles? And, 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 of course, there's no TV in those days and no movies and not much else to do. I mean, some people just went out and followed Jesus because there was nothing else to do. He was the best show in town, I promise. And so hundreds, thousands would flock around him and follow him and listen to every word that came out of his mouth. But that did not make them disciples. It did not make them his disciples. 
So Jesus stops and challenges them, not trying to run them off necessarily, but he does want them to decide. He does want them to come to a place where they recognize that just being in the crowd around him is not going to be what brings him salvation. Just being in the multitude of people that follow after Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean that they belong to Jesus. Do you understand? They have to make a decision. Discipleship demands a radical personal decision. Nobody happens into discipleship. Nobody wanders back into the family of God. You understand? This doesn't happen by accident. God has children, but he doesn't have any grandchildren. What I mean is, you can't be a Christian just because your grandma was a Christian. You understand? Or because your parents were Christians. You have to make this decision for yourself on your own, and it's going to be a real decision. You've got to decide. So so, so Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, listen, you must hate everyone else. That's shocking. And you realize in this passage, Jesus uses the most radical language possible because he's trying to describe the most radical kind of commitment. The most radical decision that you can ever make. And that's why his language is so shockingly radical. If you're going to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Now, obviously Jesus isn't teaching us to hate. Jesus in his ministry, in his teaching, he never says anything like you should hate people. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches that you should love even your enemies. You with me? Jesus says you love even enemies. So in in this particular passage, Jesus isn't teaching us literally to hate people. But he's making a point. He's making a point about the kind of commitment that we must make to him. And obviously what he's saying is that, that the love that you have for Jesus should have no rivals. Nobody else even comes close. In other words, as much as we all love our moms and our fathers, as much as we all love brothers and sisters, as much as we all love our friends at school, as much as we love our youth group, we love so many people. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, everyone else has to be moved down a notch. You understand? There has to be a complete reshuffling of all of your priorities. Jesus has got to come first. Jesus comes first. And if you are not willing to make him first, you cannot be his disciple. Not you may not be, you cannot be his disciple. He comes first. Now if you're trying to call yourself a Christian, but you have Jesus way down on a long list of priorities, you really need to search your heart. You cannot, you cannot be his disciple unless you make him first. Everything else in your life, everybody else in your life, it's, it's going to pale in comparison to the commitment, to the love, to the allegiance that you will have for Jesus. Are you going to follow him or not? If you're going to follow him, all other priorities in your life, all other relationships, everything else gets reshuffled. What used to be your priorities in life will no longer be your priorities in life. Jesus becomes your priority. Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple, Jesus says. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my, not that you may not be, you cannot be my disciple. Now stop. 
Jesus says, unless you carry your own cross. Now, how would the crowd around Jesus interpreted that? Unless you carry your own cross. Because, now, we're a week from Easter on this day when I'm preaching this message. We're a week from Easter. So for us, we're very, very used to the image of the cross. We're very used to this language. When you talk about Jesus, we automatically associate Jesus with a cross. But the crowd following Jesus at this point, as Jesus is alive and preaching, they don't know about the cross yet. They don't know how he's going to die. They haven't seen Easter yet. You understand? They don't know that part. They have not seen Jesus die on the cross, nor have they ever heard anything like that. So what are they going to understand? How will they interpret Jesus' words when he says, if you're going to follow me, you must take up your own cross, carry your own cross and follow me. Well, they didn't know about Easter, but they did know about crosses. They know what crosses are, and they know what crosses are for. They know that people die on crosses, that this is an execution state. Understand? In the Roman Empire in their day. Now Jesus' death was unique. Unique in all the world. Unique in all creation. There will never be another one like Jesus who will die in that way. His death is unique. But understand, it's not unique because he was crucified. Lots of people were crucified before Jesus. And lots of people have been crucified after Jesus. The Roman Empire's preferred means of public execution was crucifixion. They would crucify hundreds of people sometimes in a single day. They would line the street with crosses and let the bodies hang there and rot. Let the birds come and peck the bones. Crucifixion was the Roman Empire's public humiliating, intimidating, devastating form of execution. Everybody knew what a cross was and everybody knew what a cross was for. It was for dying. So when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to pick up a cross and follow me. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to follow him. It's a... It's a spiritual death, of course. We're not talking about physical death, not not a death in the body, although some who follow Jesus have paid with the price of their own blood. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is talking about a, a way of life, a way of life that we would call discipleship following Jesus. It's a way of life that we would call being a Christian. But Jesus says if you want to be a Christian, it's going to be like, like a death. It's going to be like your own death, and you might as well just go ahead and pick up a cross, the the means of your own death, and come after him. Because one way or the other, you got to die. You have to die. This means of all the people that we have to reshuffle in the list of priorities, of 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 all of the things that somehow get pushed down the list, it is ourselves that that is at the top of the things that must somehow be surrendered. I have to die. That means all of my desires, all of my preferences, all of my opinions. It means the person that I've been in the past and the person I've dreamed of being in the future, all of that, I surrender to Christ. I give that up. 
It's like I have my own funeral and I absolutely give up the person that I see myself to be, the person that I've always been. I just bury that person and the person then that comes to life is the person that Christ wants me to be. I surrender myself to Christ. Now this isn't just churchy spiritual language. You must understand this is a, a very literal way of life. A very literal way of life. If you're going to be a Christian, that means that you no longer consult yourself about what you want to do with your life. Because you don't matter, you're dead, remember? You no longer consult yourself about what you want out of life. You no longer consult yourself about what makes you happy or what makes you comfortable. You don't consult yourself about what you want to be when you get out of high school. You don't consult yourself because remember, you're dead. We live for Christ, and everything that I do, every breath that I take, every step that I make, I want to make for Christ. I want to live for Him. So I don't, if I'm going to be a Christian, I don't ask myself what would make me happy. I ask myself what would please Christ, and then I live accordingly. I don't ask myself, what do I want to get out of life? What do I want to get out of people? What do I want to do today? I ask myself, what can I give Christ today? What do I want Christ to gain out of this day? How can I give him glory? I don't ask myself, what do I feel like saying? What do I feel like doing? I ask myself, what would Christ have me say? What would Christ have me do? Remember, I'm dead. I'm like a walking dead man, and the life that is in me is the life of Christ. He lives in me. I surrender myself totally. It's like I died. Do you understand? Do you understand? This is what it means to be a Christian. You must take up your cross and follow him. And if you will not do that, if you will not surrender yourself, if you will not die to yourself, you cannot, it's not that you may not, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you continue to live for yourself. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you have not died to self and let Christ come to life in you. If you've never experienced anything like that, you really need to search your heart because Jesus says you can't be a Christian. It's not that you may not be, you can't be. You can't be unless you have experienced this radical spiritual death and coming back to life in him. Keep going with me in the scripture. Jesus sort of piles up some itty-bitty parables here, little parables, to make his point. Verse 28, don't begin until you count the cost. Understand? Count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everybody would laugh at you. They'd say, hey, there's a fool who started the building and couldn't finish it. It's a parable. It's a picture here of a person who starts out and then quits. Understand? We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about the Christian life. And Jesus tells a little parable about people who start out but quit. That they fizzle. Wow. 
If I could be quiet long enough, you could preach this own sermon to yourself, couldn't you? Because honestly, in this room and in the overflow, there are a lot of, you know, used to be really good Christian people in this room. I I mean, I'm not trying to insult you, but, but let's be honest. Most of you, when it comes to serving Christ, you had better days past. I mean, you used to do stuff. I mean, you used to be deacons. And, and, and you used to be Sunday school teachers. And man, there was a time when you used to love the Lord and you used to pray and you used to read your Bible and you used to be something really fantastic for the Lord. But what happened to you? What happened to you? I, I mean, honestly, what happened? Because you're like the person who started out to build a building, but then somehow you stopped in the middle of it. What happened? What happened to all of the promises our youth group made after camp last year? What happened to those promises? What happened to the making a difference and all of the bold promises that we all have made to Christ? What happened? We're like the fools who start out building something, but then somewhere in the middle we just stop. We just walk off and leave it half done. Jesus says, that's not what the Christian life looks like. That's not what following him looks like. And if that's what your life looks like, you really need to search your heart, sir. You really need to examine your heart, ma'am. Because real disciples do not start out and then fizzle. Real disciples do not start out to follow Christ and then turn back. At whatever point in your life you turned back, do you understand? You begin to raise some very serious questions about your life in Christ. There's no turning back. There's no stopping in the middle. There's no retiring. There's no fizzling. Look at the next one. Or, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000... Got it? You doing the math here? This king has 10,000 men, but there's a king invading him. He's coming. He's on the way. He's on the radar. King that's coming after him has how many men? 20,000. He's outmanned, outnumbered, double, two times the army size. So, well, what, what king sitting down with his counselor to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers in marching against him? If he can't, He's going to send a delegation to make peace, to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now this is an interesting little parable. It's different than the one about building the building and stopping in the middle. This one's different. Notice the word picture here. It's somebody who recognizes that they're in danger. Somebody who recognizes that there is a king who is coming who is more powerful than they are. There is a king who is coming who is going to destroy them. And they recognize that there's nothing they can do to fight this king who is coming. He's going to destroy them. So before he gets here, while he's still a long way off, they make peace. Before he gets here, they make peace. Interesting, if you talk to certain people, especially some older people, about, about spiritual things, they'll often say, yeah, preacher, I made my peace with the Lord years ago. I made my peace with the Lord. They use this language. I, I made my peace with the Lord. Now, I don't know even what that's supposed to mean, to be honest. My hunch is they don't either. 
Because according to this passage, making peace with the Lord is a very smart thing to do. You understand? You need to make peace with the Lord. Because the picture that Jesus paints here is a realistic picture of the situation you're in right now. You understand? Because he is coming. The, the king is coming and the king is Jesus. He, he is coming. And when he comes, if you don't belong to him, if you don't know him, he's going to destroy you. You understand? You are not at peace with this God. Unless you have made your peace by surrendering your entire self to Christ, then you are not at peace with this God. And you need to understand that your soul is in danger. When Jesus comes, when he arrives, he's going to destroy you. Now, if you have two brain cells in your head, you should be thinking about this right now, and you should be thinking that you need to make peace with this God. You've got to make peace with him. This is the parable that Jesus uses. Before he gets here, you better make peace because he's going to destroy you. So you're going to have to understand the terms of peace. You with me? You need to understand the terms of peace. So what are the terms of peace? Jesus says, you cannot become my disciple without surrendering everything you own. Oh, you need to make peace with this God, you understand? The terms of peace are not negotiable. You're not in a negotiating position. He's going to destroy you. The terms of peace are clear. Total surrender. Total surrender. You give yourself up for him. Anyone who doesn't do this cannot be a Christian. Cannot be my disciple, Jesus. Well, one last one. This one's kind of weird, I'll be honest. It's kind of weird. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? I mean, it's kind of, this is like a no-brainer. If salt kind of loses its essential quality, and, and what is the essential quality of salt? Uh, saltiness? I, I don't know. Whatever makes salt, be salt. You know, saltiness. If, if salt loses its essential quality, its saltiness, then it's worthless. Now understand, in Jesus' day, salt wasn't just something that sat on the table to make food taste better. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Salt was currency. You ever heard uh, the, the old phrase, man, th th that fellow's worth his salt. It comes back from the day when people were paid in salt. Sometimes coins were made out of salt. Understand? So salt was a valuable thing. But Jesus is saying, if, if that salt loses what makes salt, salt, if it loses its essential quality, then it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. You can throw it out on the manure pile. I mean, that's putting it nicely. You understand what it's worth? Jesus says you could throw it out on the, on the manure pile. It's worthless. If salt loses its essential quality, it's, it's worthless. Okay, now remember, Jesus isn't doing a cooking show here. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about discipleship. So somehow this, this little ditty about salt... Is Jesus still wrapping up his sermon about discipleship, about being a Christian? 
So, he says, if salt loses its essential quality, it's worthless. So what Jesus is saying is if, if, if discipleship, if following after me, if, if, if being a Christian loses its essential quality, then it's worthless. Understand? If, if, if following after Jesus, if, if calling yourself a Christian, if Christianity loses its essential quality, it, it's, it's, it's good for nothing. You might as well throw it on the manure pile, Jesus said. So bottom line, what's the essential quality of being a Christian? What's the essential quality? What's the saltiness in the, in the salt of following after Jesus? What is the essential quality? What makes following Jesus equal following Jesus? Commitment. It's, it's commitment, full-bodied, grown-up, every day, total surrender, commitment. And if you call yourself a Christian, but you are not totally surrendered, no full-bodied commitment, if Jesus is just one of your priorities among other priorities, if you call yourself a Christian but you have no commitment to Christ, Jesus doesn't say you may not be. He says you, can, you cannot be. You cannot be a Christian. It was on a Tuesday when uh, that lady, Angela, that rode the Harley had talked to the pastor, and she called herself a Christian, and the pastor had just read this passage to her. And remember, she was so angry, so angry, because she said, you're telling me that unless I rearrange all my priorities, I can't call myself a Christian? The pastor said, I'm not telling you that Jesus is saying that. And she said, you mean to tell me that unless I totally surrender my life to him before I die, that I can't go to heaven after I die? And the pastor said, I'm not telling you that. J Jesus is telling you that. She left so angry, so angry. That was Tuesday. Sunday afternoon pastor heard a Harley <laughs> pulling up outside the church and it was her it was Angela she came back in his office and this time she was trembling trembling he said Angela we, we talked on Tuesday I have to say you, you seem like a different person I, I don't understand you seem afraid and frightened she said I am frightened she says ever since I left here on Tuesday I just heard those words over and over that, that, that unless, unless I surrender myself to Christ totally, I'm wasting my life. I, I just keep hearing those words that, that without Christ, I, I, I'm wasting my life. And it's scaring me to death. Well, that Sunday afternoon, in, in the pastor's office, Angela, surrendered herself to Christ she surrendered herself to Christ it, it was a real commitment it was a rearrangement of all of her priorities she made Christ the unrivaled head of her life 
And the woman who walked in trembling with, with such fear, her fear melted into peace. Do you know that peace that comes from belonging to Christ? You don't get peace just by coming to church, and you don't get peace just by volunteering to do some things every now and then when it suits you. You don't get peace by calling yourself a Christian because your grandparents both were Christians. That peace doesn't come except from the person of Christ. And in your experience of dying and being raised, raised to live the life that he gives you, do you understand it's, it's, it's called following him? Fact is, you can't be a Christian unless you want Jesus in your life. And Jesus in your life doesn't mean that you just become a little more religious. It means that when he comes into your life, he's going to take over your life. There are going to be a lot of changes for you. You're going to have to straighten out your mouth and the way you talk because understand Jesus is going to put his words in your mouth. You've got habits that are going to have to change because those habits are already right now an obstacle that keeps you from Christ. There are going to be some real changes. Jesus says, don't even think about following me until you count the cost. Now, I'm not saying that you have to earn your way to salvation. You can't do it. There's not a thing you can do. Jesus is going to do it all for you, but you have to want him. And you have to want the radical transformation that he's going to bring. If you don't want Jesus, you can't be a Christian. So understand, it's not so much that I've put you in this situation, but, but you're going to decide right now. You're going to decide right now. And if you tell yourself, well, later I'll do this sort of thing. Later I'm going to live for Jesus. Understand, that's not an option. You have two choices. It's yes or no. Are you going to follow Jesus, yes or no? And if you say later, understand, you've answered no. Later is no. And if you say, well, I'll, I'll call myself a Christian, but, but I'm still going to sort of do my own thing and live my own life. You understand, that's not becoming a Christian either. That's your answer is still no. There is no halfway commitment. There is no half-hearted Christianity. I mean, either you are or either you aren't. And Jesus says, anyone who does not give up everything to follow me, doesn't say they may not. It says they, they cannot, cannot be my disciple. Bow your head, close your eyes. Bow your head, close your eyes. Right now, just thinking to yourself in this decision that you must make. If you're not a believer, then you, you know that. You, you should know that. And you understand that the very next point of action for you is to come to Christ. You need to fully surrender to him. You need to call upon his name and beg for the forgiveness of your sins and invite him into your life. And when he comes into your life, you die. You understand? Your wants, your desires, your habits, you die, and Jesus takes over. 
If you're not willing to let him take over, then you're not becoming a Christian. You understand? Becoming a Christian means Jesus comes in and he takes over. If you're not a believer, then you need to ask Jesus to come and take over your life. And he will. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Now let me talk to Christians in the room for a moment. On a scale of 1 to 10, and I know this sounds strange, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put your commitment level? You, you call yourself a Christian, and Jesus says only the ones who surrender everything can be Christians. You call yourself a Christian, just out of curiosity, where would you put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 being not committed at all and 10 being completely sold out to Christ. Where do you fall in that continuum? Where would you rank your commitment level? I just want to ask you, what's standing in your way? What are the obstacles? What is it? We talk about giving up everything, but for most of us, it's not everything that makes us stop. It's one thing. It's just one thing, and you know what it is. There's the one thing in your life, and if you were to give that up, everything else would follow. What is the one thing standing in your way? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? Is it your pride? Whatever it is standing in the way, you've got to give that up also. You call yourself a Christian? You cannot use that word unless you give it all to him. What are you holding on to? Give it to him. Lord Jesus, we are the, the crowd around you, Lord, in in this crowd are some true believers who follow you with whole hearts and have given up everything to you, would die for you, Lord. And in this room are people who are just in church today for whatever reason. Lord, I pray that each of us would come face to face with you in this moment and face with the decision that you call us to make, a decision that none of us will get out from under. Lord Jesus, for those in this house who are lost, for those in this house who were on the path to destruction when you return, Lord, I pray that they will make their peace with you today with a total surrender of their life to you. Lord Jesus, let them become a true disciple. And Lord, for all of us in this house who call ourselves Christians, I pray that there would be a serious searching of our hearts, a serious evaluation of our commitment, and a serious house cleaning of everything that stands between us, a full-bodied commitment to you, Lord Jesus. We call ourselves Christians, Lord, but we are not worthy of the name. Lord Jesus, by your grace, by your mercy, by your sacrifice on our behalf, by your death on the cross for our sins, Lord Jesus, we cannot be worthy on our own. But through you, Lord, we can be made worthy. Lord Jesus, I pray that we, the people we are, the people we have been, Lord, that we would die. But Lord, that we would continue to live by your Holy Spirit, the life that you would have for us. Jesus, may we surrender everything to you today that we might be your disciples. Let it be so. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.